So, here we are, starting a new year, a new decade. Uh, it's pretty, pretty incredible seeing the fact that we've uh, entered 2020. How many of you were around when uh, everybody was scared of 2000? Everybody around during that time? It's a scary time. We don't know if we're going to make it. And, and there were like songs written about making it to the year 2000. Here we are 20 years later. That doesn't seem to be the fear anymore that our computers are resetting and everybody's going to have their electricity cut off and the system shut down, if you will. Um, but I think we've had quite a few things happen right in the first couple of days of this year already. If you've been watching the news, wow. Um, it's been quite an incredible news storyline, really quick, uh, if you will, for this uh, new decade. And, and as we enter the year 2020, I do want us to uh, be, be mindful of some things that I think sometimes uh, m- most of us probably don't pay attention to. Um, God, God has given us everything that we need in a book that he wrote 2,000 years ago that was compiled over a span of over a thousand years, and he gave us everything that we need even in this next decade. Even in this next decade. Um, We don't need to look for some new revelation. We don't need to look for this new truth. We have everything we need in his word. In fact, most of Christianity today, if you were going to go around America and ask people, um, what would you identify as? Uh, Most would use the term Christian. In fact, most of our culture today uh, in America identifies as Christian. Now, under that umbrella of Christian, we have many different denominations, many different um, sects or religious systems. But ultimately, what we mean by um, Christian is somebody that believes in the Christian way of life. Or someone that follows the teachings of Jesus, if you will. Or someone that, that follows what the Bible says when it comes to salvation in Christ. The problem is that term has, if you will, been misleading. And the reason why it's been misleading is that we use that term so flippantly in our culture that it's lost the meaning. It's lost the meaning that we would have intended the culture to understand by that. What do I mean by that? In defining ourselves as a Christian nation, we have essentially lost the word that was more frequently defined in Scripture by the early church. In fact, the term Christian is only used three times in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that. Only three times is the word Christian brought up in Scripture. It's found in Acts 11.26, and it says, When they had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for that a whole year they assembled the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It was a term given to them by the outsiders. In fact, there's another text later in Acts where um, Agrippa says to Paul, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Also, like I said, the culture looked at it more as a derogatory term back then. And then Peter also makes a statement. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. Remember, the church early on was under severe persecution for their faith. And it says that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. 
But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Every single time the term Christian was used in the New Testament, it was a derogatory term for the outsiders. For those that were outside the faith, they looked at people in this separation between them And these are little Christs walking around, and it was a derogatory term. It was never used in a positive light. It only became a positive term as time went on. And what happened is a lot of those that were followers of Christ eventually took that term and made it their own. And that's why Christian isn't as derogatory of a term now as it was in the early church. I do want to stress one thing that I think many of us have probably not thought through before. Each of these references really were a derogatory term to mean little Christ. And as the church has grown in size and in scope, uh, we've actually ended up losing the original intent of what Christ came to make us become. In fact, the term that's most frequently used in the New Testament describing a follower of Jesus Christ is the term disciple. Disciple is used over 250 times in the New Testament. And I think the reason why a lot of us as believers in Jesus Christ have lost the meaning of what it is that God wants for us is because we've taken on cultural Christianity without biblical Christianity. We've taken on what the world has told us we are rather than what God has told us we are. That is one of the reasons when I first brought this up in our study with the high school class, how many times do you think Christian is brought up in the Scripture None of them could give me an answer on that. Because, frankly, most of us didn't even know that to begin with. Disciple is mentioned over 250 times. Christians mentioned three times. And each one of those mentions is always an outsider looking in at the church. We've gladly taken that banner. We've gladly taken that label today. But I believe, as we look at Scripture this morning, we have forgotten what God has called us to be. And the reason why I believe that is if you take a look at uh, Matthew 28, in fact, we're going to have this up on the screen here in a second, if you look at the King James Version, I believe this this verse, let me put this pretext out there first, I love the King James Bible, okay? But I believe this one mistranslation changes the dynamic of this text tremendously. See if you can notice the difference between the King James and the New King James, starting off in King James here. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, let's read the New King James. The New King James says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference between the two translations? One of them stresses the importance of teaching, and the other one stresses the importance of making disciples. 
In fact, if you were to look back to the Greek, it almost makes no sense that there's a redundancy of teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. In verse 20, and going back and seeing, go therefore and teach all nations. The emphasis here is discipleship. And sadly, what has ended up happening in the church is we have left the call of ministry on pastors and teachers and left the disciple-making up to them and not for the average believer in the church to make that a priority. In fact, most missions conferences that you and I attend will stress the importance of going and reaching people with the gospel. The stress is actually on making disciples, folks. That's the stress. In fact, a better translation would be, having gone, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. Having gone. God is already assuming you're out there doing the work. You and I have a lot to catch up with God on in the Word. And the reason why I think we as Christians have fallen behind in not fulfilling the Great Commission as Christ has called us to is that we have been lulled to sleep by the world. We've been lulled to sleep by the culture around us that's telling us how Christians should live and practice and do things. And we need to shut up about certain topics because we don't want to hear what you have to say about it. Believer, you shouldn't stand up for certain topics unless you know what God says about that topic. Not, what, not because some author that you respect says something about that topic. We're going to talk about that this morning. Could it be that for centuries we, we as Christians have missed the point of what Jesus was getting at here? In fact, I would argue that many believers assumed that the idea was just to teach others about Jesus. And that was going to be enough. In fact, most of uh, modern Christianity is more excited and interested in getting more people in the door than getting Jesus in a relationship with them directly. Most people in our culture talk about a relationship with Jesus, but the Jesus that they know is not the Jesus of the Bible because they don't open their Bibles. I'm going to be very upfront this morning. Folks, I'm putting my whole ministry on this concept of disciple-making because I believe Jesus' last words should be our first priority. I believe that discipleship is the missing ingredient in the church today. And I'm, put, I'm going all in on this. I'm staking my whole ministry on what Jesus says here. Not because I have some amazing new truth, but because I believe we've lost what Jesus emphasized. And this morning, and as, as we look through the text, I want you to understand that the meaning here for the word disciple, look at what it says, to disciple Helping someone progressively learn the word of God to become a matured, growing disciple, a true Christ follower, to train, develop in the truths of scripture and the lifestyle required. Helping a believer learn to be a disciple of Christ in belief and practice. Believer, God is not after your knowledge. He's after your heart. And we're going to look at this morning some of the incredible things from a Jewish perspective that I believe we as a church have missed because we haven't gotten to know the author. We've wanted to know all of what he offers us in eternal life, but not know him personally. You see, most people, if you were to offer them a ticket out of hell, they'll, ta- they'll take that instantly. But most people would not be willing to follow somebody like that for many, many years in order to understand what it is 
that is the heartbeat of that teacher. I don't know if you realize this, Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi. And I think we as modern Westerners miss the whole point of what Scripture many times tells us clearly. Because we read in our 21st century American Christianity. In fact, A.W. Tozer says this, he says, In order for us to make disciples, we must be a disciple. Only a disciple can make a disciple. You know the reason why our church doesn't reach other people? They don't have anything to reach them with. They're not in the Bible themselves. You can't give somebody something that you yourself don't know. And I believe with all my heart the reason why our churches are dying in America is not because people don't have cool hip music. They have plenty of that in churches. It's because for some reason, if you read articles on this, millennials want something more. They want something more than just the facade and the entertainment. Because there's a deeper issue behind everything. There's a heart that's lost that can only be entertained for so long before it cries out and says, this isn't enough. This isn't enough. There's a God-shaped hole in every person's heart. And the only answer to that is Jesus Christ himself and the word that he's given to us that he wants us to pass on to others. In fact, if you look at that text in Matthew 28, it says to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. How can you teach people to observe all things that Christ has commanded them if you're not in the word yourself? Is that a possibility? Or is the only thing you can teach somebody what you heard on Sunday morning in the sermon the pastor preached or Doug preached or whoever it is that's preaching that morning? The reason we're not raising our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord is because we ourselves don't fear the Lord. We don't have that kind of desire to know more about Him that we ought to, that the early church did. And the reason why it's lacking so much in our church is that we are looking to gimmicks and a good feeling to ease the, the tension that we have in our hearts. How many of us go through roller coasters emotionally throughout the week? Anybody go through that? You have a great day, and then a terrible day, and then a better one again, then a terrible one again, and then in one day you've had up and down 20 times. You see, that's the, that's the, that's the experience of all of humanity. But sadly, those experiences are different for every person, but they're the same in one sense. They leave us void and empty. Because many times those experiences that we have, that others face, we look at them through a lens that is outside the Word of God. That is the reason why, and and maybe I'm the only one that has this happen, please tell me if I am. That's the reason why I believe when I'm outside the Word of God, it's easier for me to just get angry at people and not give them a, a break on anything. It's just easier for me to not forgive my brother or sister in Christ. It's just easier for me to get ticked at the guy that didn't get my coffee right in Dunkin' Donuts. Or Starbucks, which is actually the better one. I like that one better. But, you know, the reality is we find ourselves constantly, constantly in this battle in our minds. In how to live the Christian life apart from the Word of God. And the reason that that happens is because we are not faithfully disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not faithfully followers of Jesus Christ. The reason why you and I have this tension in the Christian life is that we tend to find ourselves in a rut many times. 
And sadly, some people have been in a rut for many years. Many years. They've been Christians for a long time, but their walk with God has rarely grown. In fact, if you were to ask them how 2019 went, or even the last decade, how much have they read of the Word of God, many Christians today cannot declare that they've read through all of God's Word. It's a travesty, folks. This is the tragedy of the church today. My goal here is not to give you something that's going to blow your mind. This isn't some new concept. This is really an ancient concept that the church has forgotten. In order for you to grow in your walk with God, you need to hear from God. You see, sadly, most Christians are willing to talk to God. They don't want to hear from Him. How do I know that? We rarely open the Bible, but we pray all the time and we have a lot of problems. Is that not what we do as Christians? Oh, pray for so-and-so, pray for this issue in my life. I've got this big thing going on tomorrow, please pray for me. Those are all good. Pastor Roman is not saying we shouldn't pray. Okay, Don't come out of this sermon going, Pastor Roman says we shouldn't pray anymore. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Okay, What I am saying is, if you want to hear from God, you need to open the Word. You need to open the Word. You don't need another song on the queue to encourage you. You need the Word of God. Okay? You don't need the morning Joe. Ultimately, you need the Word of God. And by morning Joe, I mean a cup of coffee. Okay? You need the Word of God. You can have it with a morning Joe, but you need the Word of God. Are we clear? Remember, there's a wear-off period with coffee as well, so be mindful of that. For practical reasons, what do we mean by disciple? What do I mean by, by a disciple? A disciple, in a most practical manner, is a student or apprentice of someone they desire to emulate. A student or apprentice that wants to emulate someone else. In fact... Uh, if you were to look at many different industries in the world, there'd be a time that every person trains under someone else that has more experience, yes? When you, when you get into a new job, a new career, a new field, you train under somebody that's already well-disciplined in that career already. They're the type that's actually disciplining you, discipling you on it, because why? You're training under them. They have experience. They've already done this before. Yet what happens many times in the Christian experience when a person comes to Christ, they attend church, get baptized, and then they're left alone on their own to figure out how to mature. Folks, that's not going to happen at this church anymore. I want to give you a pathway to maturity in Christ, and we're going to define things specifically in this church. Because here's the thing, if I was to go around this room and ask you to privately write down, what do you think a Christian that's mature looks like? You're going to have different answers. And let me be very direct here. The only person or, God, or standard that matters is God's, what maturity looks like. Because here's what, here's what happens to many of us when it comes to defining maturity in the church. We tend to define it differently based on our experience with people, right? This person's more patient, that's what a mature Christian is. You know why we look at that? Because we're, we're terribly impatient, so we think that somebody with some more patience is really mature. And what we do is we have different categories of what that looks like. I'm going to say this very openly, maturity defined outside of the Word of God is inaccurate. Maturity defined outside the Word of God is inaccurate. Because we're flawed men and women. Our tendency will be to give ourselves a pass on things 
that we know God actually doesn't, so we ignore his standard in the Bible. This is the reason why men, when it comes to that bar that Christ set, that we ought to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we fall so short of that, so we don't like to be reminded of it, so guess what we don't do? How do I do that? Let me see in the Word of God. What does that look like? I don't want to hear any more sermons on it. I already know what my wife's going to say. I'm not living up to it. I get it. Stop. You know what the believer that is mature does? I'm very far behind here. Lord, help me. And they start digging. And they start digging. And they start digging. And they read. And they read. And they read. And they look at all the relationships in the Bible. And they start seeing which marriages were better. Which ones were terrible. And they start learning from the people in the Bible. Because here's the thing. God didn't put perfect people in here. That should be an encouragement to you. People like Peter are a wonderful encouragement to me. You know why? Because we're going to talk a little bit about the rabbi Jesus and what he had to go through to get to the status that he had in his culture. In fact, one of the things that's amazing about Peter is the fact that Jesus chose him to begin with. I don't want to give it away. We're going to get to it. You see, here's the problem. What happens in the church is you rarely find Bereans searching out the scriptures for themselves. They're waiting for someone else to give them the answer. Look, there are great men of the faith that I look up to and I love reading their books. But if I read only those men and not the word of God, I'm doing a big disservice to myself as a believer. Folks, I want you to love great authors. I really do. But I want you to love the Bible more. I want you to love reading through this way more than that amazing book on marriage or finances or whatever it is that you like to read. Because this is what's lacking in the church. We have plenty of Bible studies. You go, go, go to your Christian bookstore. They've got tons of them. Think of any topic, they'll find you studying. Sadly, a lot of them are so diluted, they're not even close to what the Bible actually says. Oh, they give you these wonderful five-step programs and all these applications of how to fix your marriage, fix your finances, and many of them are practical and good, but they're not the source. Let's ask for a quick second. How would you feel, ladies, and I'm using this as an illustration, how would you feel if somebody approached you about your husband and asked, hey, what do you think he thinks about this? And you couldn't give a straightforward answer because you hadn't talked to him. And the only way you knew what he might think is because he talked to somebody else about it. You see, that's what happens in the church all the time. We're looking to an author to give us what God's word says instead of going to the source ourselves. That would also be the equivalent of, let's say, my, my dad or my mom have a problem with somebody in her family, and they decide to talk to me about our sibling, my sibling instead of talking to them directly. Can I really give them all the details properly? Probably not. And yet, what ends up happening is, the church has expanded to this point where we have made only certain people in the church as this conduit to the Lord, and you and I are all disconnected, we need to go through that conduit. Jesus Christ has already given us full access to the Father. He's already spoken in the word. We don't need a second revelation, folks. And yet so many people are always looking for someone else to give them the answer. 
Look, when you're first maturing as a regular boy or girl growing up in your home, mom and dad help you, giving you answers on certain things. When you become an adult, you need to find the answers yourself. Sadly, in the church, people are still looking to the pastors and the, te- and the teachers to give them the answers that God has already clearly revealed in His Word. They just haven't dug to, to look for it. Should, should pastors and teachers continually direct the church? Absolutely. Should the average congregant or disciple of Jesus Christ sit around all week and wait for a sermon on Sunday? No. Folks, people died so you could have this Bible. They paid with their lives so you can have the Word. And you have it on the shelf all year. You opened up once or twice. How did 2019 end up for you? Folks, I'm passionate about this because I believe this is the key that's missing in the church today. You don't need cute illustrations. You need more of the Word. Illustrations help? Sure they can. Are they the same thing as the Word? No, they're not. How can we make disciples and teach them to observe all things if we haven't even read through the Word ourselves? How can you teach your children, parents, what you yourselves don't know? Oh, you know the basics. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak and he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, those are the, those are the, that's the concept of theology for most of our church today. When was the last time you went through the Word of God and your children went through the Word of God together with you, and all of a sudden you started seeing some things and you started piecing things together and you had a discussion that got into some pretty deep things that you've never done before? When was the last time we as couples got into the Word together and talked about it? And I'm not talking a lady has a lady's Bible study or a man has men that he meets and and, and prays with and all that. But we as couples got into the Word together. Church, this is not a new concept. This was what the early church was doing. They were in the Word in fellowship with one another and teaching one another. As one author put it, the problem in our culture isn't the abortionists, it isn't the pornographers or drug dealers or criminals, it's the undisciplined, undiscipled, disobedient, and biblically ignorant church of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus could have given us a mission, but he gave us a commission. You know why? Because we're partnering together with him to reach the world. God never wanted you to walk alone. We're going to talk about this next week when it comes to the Jewish mindset versus the Greek Western mindset that we live in today. What's fascinating is we buy into that even when it comes to our walk with God. You need to understand something. You are part of a community. You're not just an individual in this church. Oh, you are an individual before God and you're going to have to be accountable to Him directly. I agree with that. But you are a part of a community here. And sadly, most people enter the church with this consumerism that really infiltrates their mind. What's in it for me? Is the music good enough? Is the preaching good enough? Is that good enough? Is there a children's ministry? Is this other ministry there? Is that... 
All those things are good. I'm not saying they're bad questions to ask, but I think that what men, tends to be missing in our mentality as we walk into the, the building, if you will, is what would God want me to do? You see, most people are concerned with what others will provide for them rather than what they can provide for others. And the reason we're not disciples of Jesus Christ is we're not following him. We're following what we like. Oh, we've trusted him for salvation. I'm good. I'm not going to hell. I'm good. I don't need to hear anything else. Folks, that's a Western way of thinking. That's the reason why you have so many people that make decisions for Jesus and walk away and don't know anything of the Bible. That's why you have grown men that are in the church, that grow up in the church, that don't know any more than they did 25 years ago because they're not in the Word themselves. Yet we put them in spiritual authority. Folks, I'm not apologizing for this. This is what God's word says. We are to make disciples. And what do I mean by make disciples? Are you in an accountable relationship with somebody that you are holding them accountable to walk with God and you're in the word together and you want to see them grow in their faith and then that person then finds somebody else that they implement in their life and they're growing and they find somebody else. That's how God set it up to be. Not this one pastor, one teacher, we all love him, we read his books, we agree with him, and nod yes every time. Are you reproducing in someone else's life? Am I reproducing in someone else's life? The reason why you and I can't share is we have nothing inside. You can't share the word if you've not been in the word. In fact, most churches measure success by the three ABCs of growth. I don't know if you've heard of them. Attendance, building, cash. Those are the measurements of success in the modern church today. Attendance, building, cash. You've got all three of them, you're a successful church. Folks, that's not how Jesus measures success. In fact, you won't find a Bible verse that measures success that way. I believe the goal for me as a pastor to work through this church is to grow the depth of its believers and then let God take care of the width. God will grow this church if we get in the Word. It won't be an amazing sermon that knocks it out of the park that grows this church instantly in one, one Sunday. It's going to be the Word of God working in believers' hearts to where you and I can't help but speak of those things to people. The reason why so many of us are so passionate about the patriots, and I'm one of them, is we follow them. We're almost disciples of the patriots. We know their stats. We know their receivers. We know how well they did this year or how poorly they ended. Can I encourage you to be a disciple of Jesus? At least at the level that we follow the Patriots, if you're a Patriots fan. I would argue that, that Christ calls you to much more than that. But we're not even giving him that. So where do we start with discipleship? We're going to look at one thing today, the model. 
Who else would help us understand what a disciple is but Jesus himself? Many know about Jesus, but don't really know the man. There is a difference between knowing about somebody rather than knowing them, right? How many people know about certain people, but they don't really know them? I think we all do, right? There's certain people we read about in the news, we don't really know the person, we think we do. You see, most of the country thinks they know who Trump is. Not everybody knows who Trump is, even though there's a lot of things that are written about him. Those that are closest to him know who he is. One of the dangers is that we don't look at Jesus through a proper lens as Westerners. I need you to be reminded of this because I had to be reminded of this. We need to see it from a Jewish perspective rather than a Greek Western culture that constantly infiltrates infiltrates our mind. I want you to remember this. Jesus was a Jewish man born to a Jewish family who called Jewish disciples. We need to reprogram our perspective to one that is biblically accurate, and to our shame, the the amount that we know about Jesus is based on whatever it is someone else told us about him. So, facts about Jesus pertaining to discipleship. Number one, one of the big things is, Jesus was a rabbi. In fact, the word means master or teacher. A rabbi during Jesus' time was much different from a rabbi today in that they were more an itinerant preacher. They would move around to different locations, almost like an Old Testament prophet, and they relied on the support from others as a, or a side occupation as well. A rabbi would travel from town to town sharing his teachings and interpretations of Scripture. In fact, the rabbis would not hesitate to travel to the most remote places and to conduct their class anywhere that lent an opportunity. In fact, classes would be held in their students' or disciples' homes, almost like a small group that you'd find today. The rabbi would typically not charge for his teachings, would rely on the generosity of those that they taught as they traveled. If one wanted to learn from the rabbi, they would follow after them. You did life together with the rabbi. And I'm encouraging you, believer, to do life together with Christ and not look at it as this checkbox that you mark off of what it means to be a good Christian. I go to church, I pray a little bit, read the Bible a little bit. Jesus wants you to follow him. He wants me to follow him. The rabbi was held in high esteem in the Jewish community. Here are a few sayings regarding rabbis. It's actually mind-blowing, some of these statements. If a man's father and his rabbi are both taken captive, a disciple should ransom his rabbi first. If you understood what the respect for rabbis was in that culture, you wouldn't be as shocked by some of the statements Jesus makes about hating your mother and your father. We're so shocked by it because we're coming at it from a Western culture. But if you came at it from a Jewish culture, it's not as shocking. If his father and his master are carrying heavy burdens, he removes that of his master and afterward removes that of his father. These are literally Jewish sayings regarding rabbis and their culture. Like every other Jewish boy, Jesus attended the religious studies available to him locally. Remember, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. Jesus is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man, but he grew in wisdom and stature. So he went through the same training that the Jewish boys would go through back then. As a child, he would be heard with other boys reciting, repeating a passage out loud. 
Knowing the old in the Jewish mindset was as important as the new teaching that was taught. You don't graduate. This may be helpful to us that we have assumed we've graduated from some basic truths of Scripture. The Jewish mindset was one of repetition and recitation till one knew the material well and could communicate it clearly. You know, one of the problems with the church today is we don't recite Scripture. We don't make it a practice and a habit to be in the Word. The Jewish mindset was always be in the Word, be in the Word, be in the Word. For us, devotions are like this optional thing. And and sadly, what most of Christianity has become is a pick-off-the-menu Christianity. It's not a map in a direction. This is, here's what you should possibly do. Pick. Maybe be reading in the Bible. Maybe memorize some scripture. You should be praying. Maybe come to church. Maybe go to the study. And it's like a menu for people. It's not an actual map where we direct people in how to mature as Christians. The Jewish mindset was one of repetition till you knew the material well and could communicate it clearly. For many of us, we've heard knowledge is power, right? How many of you have heard that statement? For the Jewish mindset, knowledge that has the most power comes from Scripture. I don't know if you knew that. Knowledge that has the most power to the Jewish mindset came from Scripture. Josephus actually emphasized that schooling had three levels that progressively became more difficult in the Jewish society. What are they? In Jewish schooling, at age five, boys and girls would enter the Bet Sefer, the house of the book, being taught reading and writing using the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. They'd start off with that. The students would then graduate to Bet Talmud, house of learning, where they would study the rest of the Old Testament in a form of oral law. Now, the third stage, only the brightest students would graduate to Bet Midrash, house of study, with most of the students returning to their family business of carpentry, farming, fishing, etc., if they did not qualify. Keep that in mind. Now, hopefully you're connecting some dots already. Those that moved to this highest level of education were tested by the head rabbi who extended the invitation for them to follow him until the age of 30, when most rabbis would begin their own ministries. The most prominent rabbis of the first century were Gamaliel, Halil, and Shammai. Those are the three prominent rabbis of that time. In fact, Paul, I believe, was actually studying under Gamaliel. You see that later on in the New Testament. The rabbis of Jesus' time would begin their ministries at the age of 30 and wait for the brightest students to approach them. What made Jesus unique and different? He was the first rabbi that went and pursued his disciples. He wasn't waiting for them to find him. He went and found them. In fact, Jesus went and found those that would have not been qualified to follow a rabbi. Remember, stage three were those that really were the brightest that could, didn't, they didn't have to go back to that industry that their family had, their family business, if you will. These are the brightest students. Guess what? Peter didn't make that. But guess what? He got the privilege of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, this is when you finally start connecting the dots from a Jewish mindset that things start making more sense. 
We read a lot of scripture from a Westerner view, and we miss the point of what Jesus is saying. If you need to know who Jesus is, it might be important to know what culture he came from. Most rabbis were quite busy quizzing their potential prospects who came to them while Jesus went out to find his own. In fact, Jesus had a countercultural approach. Look at this. Number one, he personally called his disciples. Jesus personally called his disciples. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He personally went out and called them. And number two, he found those that were not qualified. Jesus went and found those that were not qualified. In fact, in Matthew 4.18, it says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. So in conclusion... I want to ask a couple questions. Whose agenda are you following, yours or Christ? Now, most people that are in the church, they say, I'm following the Lord. Oh, really? Let me ask you more practically. When was the last time you consistently were in the Word of God this last year? Because if you can answer that, I've been consistent in the Word of God, then you can say affirmatively that you've been following Christ. If you can't say that, I wouldn't argue you're following Jesus. Because your rendition of what he says is going to be off. No matter how much of scripture you memorize, the further you get away from actually being in the word of God, the more skewed your perspective will be. Because every one of us has things that infiltrate every day of our lives. And if you're not careful, you don't tune them all out. As much as we think we're tuning everything out, we're not. That is the reason why Christians tend to change their perspective on morality based on people they know, rather than the Word of God. Most people soften on on certain moral issues because of people they know in their families or their friends, not because they've read it in the Bible. And what they do is they take that perspective, and you know what they do? They go back to the Bible and try to reconfigure it the way they want it to say what it should say for them, instead of letting the Word of God tell them what they should think. And we're not going to be that kind of church. We're not going to take what we like as a stance and go back to the Bible and try to make it work. We want the Bible to to transform and conform us to the image of Christ. Number two, what image do you have of what you should be? Is it your own image or his? Are you following the image of Christ? Or are you trying to become something that you wish you would be? See, a lot of us, we have goals in our lives. Some of them are good goals. Some of them are unrealistic goals, if I could say it that way. That's why some people stop doing New Year's resolution. I've tried it so many years, it failed. Folks, this isn't a New Year resolution. This is a way of life that Christ calls us to be a disciple. Follow me. Because remember, he says, follow me. And I will make you, Jesus is going to be the one that makes you what, he ought to, what you ought to be. And the last thing he says is, fishers of men, what's your goal in life? Hopefully it's the same one Jesus would have. 
reaching others who will then reach others, who will then reach others. Making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Maybe it's time to assume that Jesus is just a rescue from hell. Maybe it's time to understand that he is a master and a rabbi that's been wanting to teach us for so many years and we've not been listening. Practical ways to start being a disciple. We're going to get into more of these details in the next coming weeks. Number one, get into the Word. Get into the Word. We have a Bible reading program. It's in the back. Doug's made more copies. Get into the Word this year. Parents, get into the Word with your kids. Get into the Word if you're single, you're married, you're a child, you're a spouse, you're, you're, you're somebody that just came in, you're like, man, I'm not doing anything right now. Get into the Word till the Word gets into you. And you'd be blown away what God does. We're going to give you resources as time goes on. We're not, we're not going to leave you hanging. I want to make sure I give you practical knowledge, but you need to start somewhere. If you've not been reading the Bible consistently, you need to start reading the Bible consistently. I'm not asking for you to, to lift the 300-pound spiritual discipline right now. Let's start with a five-pound dumbbell, all right? Let's get in the Word, start reading, and we'll keep working from there, okay? This is the basic, okay? You can read the Bible. That's a starting point. Start thinking of people you can be accountable to in your walk with God. There are certain people in this church you can be accountable to in your walk with God. Start thinking of that. You see, most people don't succeed in their Christian life because they are not accountable to anybody. Oh, I'm only accountable to the Lord. Well, it's a wonderful spiritual cliche. Sadly, you don't follow through on it, do you? How do I know that? We, we keep asking for forgiveness for the same things. Oh, I'll do better in my Bible reading this time. Hey, how did last decade go for you? How'd it go? Did your Bible reading improve every year? Did your disciplines in the walk with Christ improve every year? Or were you kind of left all over the place? Parents, it's, it's time to stop comparing yourself to other parents and realize Jesus wants a, a walk with you that you follow Him. And you're not following somebody else in the church. He wants you to be in the Word so that He can speak to you. Parents, the best thing you can give your kids is not more wonderful videos on Netflix or Disney+. And I have them both. The best thing you can give your kids is the Word of God this year. Because the Word of God is what's going to change their heart. And what are you wanting to leave your kids as a legacy? That you went to church on Sunday once a week? Or that the Word of God was a priority in your home? It was a priority in your marriage? It was a priority in your church? Folks, I don't want to burn out. I'm not a candle, okay? But I believe that if there's anything worth burning out for, it's the gospel and making disciples. I'm putting my whole ministry into this. I don't find this a joke. It's as serious as Jesus said it. Most of us look, look up to people in their last words that they say before they pass from this life. Jesus has the ultimate last word for us, and it should be our first priority. Go and make disciples. We'll get into more of the details as we need to go as a church to be mature disciples, conform to the image of Christ. I don't want to be vague about what it means, and we're going to define that as we go on. Here's a definition of discipleship. It's not original with me, but I want you to think about this, because this is really going to be how I define discipleship in our church. 
intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. Intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. A lot to chew over this morning, I understand. But I promise you, church, it's worth it if we follow Him. It's worth it. I hope you jump on board. I hope you realize that there's so much greater awaiting us when we become faithful followers of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to be able to come before you this morning. We thank you for the reminder from your word that we are to go and make disciples. Father, I ask that as we take the call to make disciples seriously, that you would give us the discipline that we need to to get into the word again. Father, we know that your word is powerful and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces right into the heart of the matter of every one of us. Father, we ask that as we uh, come before you this morning, that you be gracious to us, Father. As we know, many of us have a lot of things to repent of, and we ask that this year that you'd help us to recalibrate where we've been off. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.